the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain, and very nice to be joined today by Renee Mataparai. How are you? Great, Paul. Thanks for having me. Great to uh, great to have you back again. It's been a little while since we've had you in the Podcast has. NZ studio. <laughs> it definitely has. Glad to be back. Yeah. Now, uh, maybe you can remind listeners where you fit into this big wide world of uh, technology and innovation here in New Zealand. Yeah, where I fit into the technology landscape. Um, so I work currently at Spark New Zealand and I work in the technology team uh, looking at our future connectivity options for New Zealand. So my team are working on all of our wireless networks, so a 4G network, the rollout of 5G, um, and we've got some super exciting trials in that space. We also look after a lot of the big infrastructure programs that we've got building out connectivity for New Zealand and how we can handle the ever-increasing demand for data. And also our Internet of Things business, which is uh, super exciting as well. So in short, I get to work on all the cool stuff at SPAC and bring you future tech. That is very, very nice and nice position to be in. I'm sure there'll be a few people that say that they're doing cool stuff that, that you're you're not involved in. But I'm sure, I'm sure. You've got quite a, you know, there's a lot that goes on at Spark, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. Um, but certainly the, you know, the connectivity piece is, is just so important because without it we're, we're you know, often you know, completely hamstrung and, and yeah. not able to do things. Yeah, I think and COVID really highlighted our dependence on digital communications, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, definitely keen to um, to come back and and delve into what you're doing with Millimeter Wave uh, because cool. that's that's the trial you've been uh, you've been working on uh, and that you've you've announced um, in the last few days. Uh, so we'll 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 come back in onto that and to hear a bit about what else is going on uh, network-wise. Um, but we'll, we'll jump into the other news too. Uh, now, I, I guess uh, something that uh, that that caught my caught my attention over the last uh, few days was this announcement around what I think uh, the headline referred to as uh, as tech giants signing a pact. To tackle digital harm, that was that was certainly how it was headlined by uh, by Newsroom, mm. and it was really highlighting this this agreement that's that's come into place through a, a number of uh, players, sort of Meta, Facebook, Google, f- with YouTube, TikTok, and Twitch and 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 Twitter. So with them sort of um, agreeing to this pact that's been put in place by NetSafe and and NZ Tech, and mm. when I read this, I thought, wow, this sounds uh, this sounds like a you know a, a good idea, and I was sort of joining up some dots because in a, a day or a few days prior to that, uh, there was an article from Stuff that was was talking about one of the topics we've, we've talked about on the podcast before, which is these RAM raids. Mm. And you know the mainstream media have been very interested in the RAM raids and is it technology's fault that they're happening and is sort of driving this kind of continuous wave of, of RAM raids that have been mm. you know, really promoted, I guess, through the likes of TikTok as videos have gone out and then have become quite viral. Yeah, this culture of sharing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think it, I'm pretty sure it was stuff. And, you know, what they indicated is they they put in a sort of an official Information Act request and they'd got this information back from police 
that highlighted that the police had got hold of TikTok and said, can can you take you know this particular bit of content down because mm. it's you know it's promoting um, something that actually falls outside of the terms of um, of of TikTok and and yeah. in, in, in terms of what was uh, what was going on and uh, you know damaging property and so on. And the police had got nowhere with it. They were, it was just basically ignored. And then stuff sent a message off to TikTok saying, oh, you know, why did you ignore this request? And, you know, within a few hours... Miraculously. The content is, has disappeared. Uh, and then we see this agreement coming into, into place mm. uh, very soon thereafter. So... Uh, Whilst what we've seen since is um, a couple of other parties, including Internet NZ, have come in and said, no, this agreement is, I don't know, paraphrasing a little bit, but a sham and it's, you know, it's something to stop the government from putting legislation into into place. Um, but, you know, to me it seems like this is this is this is a good step. Well, at least even, it's a even step if, in the right it, direction. It's not the the whole yeah. solution, right? That there that there is this uh, commitment that maybe is is certainly further down the track than what the police had to uh, you know have had to deal with in in recent months with yeah. stuff just going out there. And I mean, we've even had New Zealand's media, and as happens, something goes viral on one of these platforms, and then you'll get mm. a media outlet, TV, online, what have you, that then take that content, which is encouraging this bad behaviour, yeah, and then they're spreading it so everybody can uh, everybody can see it. The only bit that I haven't actually been able to find um, recently was um, there were the headlines around uh, Zuru getting, um, you know getting a, a, a bit upset with some of the, the reviews of what it's like to work at, at Zuru. Mm. And uh, so they took the, the court case um, in, in, in the US against, can you remember the name of the site that does the uh, Glassdoor? Oh, so yes, that yeah, they, yeah. you know, they took the court case against Glassdoor and said, you can't publish that, that's... that's slander. That's, that's slander, <laughs> effectively, right? Yeah. And, uh, and you, you know, you're breaking the law... To do that, and they were able to actually block the negative reviewers because I was kind of oh, curious. It was a, whether that would know, actually work. I was work. like, "Oh, can I read what what the, what what are, what are people saying that has upset Zuru Zuru that so much. much?" Yeah. Um. So, uh, it's, in a way, I was sort of pleasantly surprised actually that it hadn't all been republished. Yeah. And you know, putting yourself in in at Zuru's shoes. Uh, you know, look, if they're able to get a court to block it because it's because it's false, then yeah, fair yeah. enough that it should be able to be um, blocked. Um, but yeah, on on the on the flip side, when it's come to these ram raids, it seems to have just uh, run wild and has hadn't been able to be stopped. So I think yeah. I mean it's good to see that there's some level of accountability being taken by the these big tech giants um, for some of the content that's on their platforms. Um, you know, it's been a an increasing issue over the last couple of years. So at least it looks like it's a step in the right direction. What comes of it or what needs to happen outside of that, I suppose, is the real question. There's no doubt something has to be done, um, but it's just how we get the right balance, I reckon. Yeah, and it, and it's and it's really hard because who do you blame? Do you say, look, this has come over, they were on a Spark Mobile when they did this or, a, you yeah. know, whoever's network or, well, I, you know, I'm able to watch it over this network or that network. So, you know, where, where do you put those sort of blocks and, and, mm. and things in place? How do you get 
the right balance and uh, you know yeah how much um, you know is a responsibility on individuals and, and families to mm. protect against you know the harms of online and how much can we yeah. put on to these platforms and you know sometimes some things are you know can be somewhat easy to automate but then sometimes you get the flip side of the coin and yeah. uh, the other day I was talking to my my son We've been arranging he's going to go and stay with one of his friends during the school holidays. And I said, oh, have, you know, have you put some, you know, uh, had a chat with your mate over, um, you know, whatever gaming platform they were on. And uh, the the comment was like, oh, I, I can't put that on there because the AI might, you know, pick up what I'm saying. Mm. If you mention going to someone's home and then it's like, oh, that could be dodgy. So, and then suddenly he's maybe not able to chat with his friend anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, because he's gone, you the know, safeguards out, have outside gone too, of the yeah too far the, the boundaries. So, um, you know, it's it's really hard to get technology to do these things for us all the time. Yeah, yeah. And to expect that, I think to your point, there's a there's always a role for people to play in just having open conversations with their kids as well about uh, about the online environment. Yeah. We've, we've explained it to our kids um, to try and say, look, we wouldn't take you in, into the middle of, of town and just leave you standing in a, in a square full of strangers. Yeah. And that's effectively what we'd be doing if we weren't talking to you and understanding what you were doing online. Yeah, that's, like, a, oh, that's a good, okay, good way yeah. to put it, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Like, we would never do that. <laughs> yeah. Yet when you go online, you that's can effectively be amo- what you've got. a lot of uh, strangers. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. Kids will find their own techniques to, uh, yeah, uh, to bypass things too, won't they? So, yeah, I think that's part of being a kid. Yeah. Now, on to some of the other topics. Ford have announced cutting a, a huge chunk of their uh, their salaried workforce, and what they've done with their business is to effectively sort of split into. I guess you could say the the new, edgy, cool, disruptive kind of end of Ford, uh, which is doing electric vehicles and autonomous driving technology, mm. all of the sort of the edgier stuff. And then the part of Ford that's their traditional business, uh, which we, we call ICE these days, the, the vehicles with the internal combustion engines, yeah. right? And, of course, there's elements of, of those vehicles that use all the latest and, and, and greatest elements, but we certainly see those yeah, electric vehicles being at the more digital, edgy end of things. So, yeah, talking about plans to um, slash 8,000 salaried workers, which is around a, a quarter of their their workforce by 2026. So, yeah, yeah. I find this this is really fascinating because this is you know part of the challenge that I think all businesses have is how do you keep your eye on the future and invest into the the future things yeah whilst not killing off existing revenue streams and you know we've, yeah. we've seen it with with sky we've um, there's elements of it probably within every business you know spark with spark ventures you know as the mm. sort of the place to develop those exciting new things but that when I saw that headline of like wow that is a that's a, a lot of people to be um, yeah you know letting go for your new thing but also there's a reality right and and Ford have um, you know they they did really well through sort of you know the the global 
uh, financial crisis and and yeah. so on without having to get the uh, the big handouts and um, you know well with certainly without hitting the wall anyway. I'm not sure what the handouts were. Um, so kinda, yeah, this is it's kind of kind of interesting. Yeah, it was kind of I was trying to I was scrolling through the article and trying to see you can understand them cutting work on one side on the on the legacy part of the business, but it doesn't then cover off how many staff they're adding on the new side. And I think there's a really interesting conversation going on at the moment in business on actually how do we be better at reskilling our existing workforces to shift from old legacy technologies into the new innovative stuff and how do we help to get our team members those future focus skills so that they can shift into new roles whether it's in their existing company or, or somewhere else and I think that was the bit in here in the article that was missing for me they're cutting on one side but they must be adding on the other well they're definitely adding some investment but exactly what yeah what that looks like in terms of people yeah. it's it's hard to know now we heard of uh, a change Tesla made recently where they laid off there's maybe a hundred people or so within an AI team. So they were there to look at video and images and then label things accordingly. Mm. But of course, in this world where we're trying to automate as much as possible, and it had got to the point where the artificial intelligence systems were had got to the point where they were doing a, a, as good enough, they were trained up well enough that actually that um, mm. you know that group was uh, was no longer needed. So yeah, look, even with the latest and greatest stuff, we will see things where yep, you need a bunch of people to get you there, um, mm. but then there's going to be a need to to retrain or to find an, another company that's. Uh, uh, maybe needs those need those needs those skills. When it comes back to that whole concept of continuous learning, right? We're going to all be continuously learning new stuff to go and do different things. Yeah, and look, I th- I think we all should be all the time, and whether that's within you know what we do today, whether it's sort of in in preparation for the for the future, right? We've all yeah. be, we've got to be putting on that futurist hat and yeah. looking at how. What's that futurist view of the work that we do today, the business that we're in, and then what does that look like tomorrow? Mm. And then you know, individually and and for our you know our families, because yeah. um, if you do that, you've kind of got the best chance of positioning yourself well. Um, you know, both in terms of what we can do generally to help New Zealand do better and our economy mm. do better, you know, as as for each individual's success as well, right? Yeah, it must be hard being a career advisor at the moment for kids. <laughs> There's so many different new jobs all the time. That's got to be the trickiest one to stay on top of. <laughs> It'd be fun though, wouldn't it, right? Yeah. Because, because it is changing, so it's not – you can't just give the same old uh, advice – yeah. Uh, for for an extended uh, extended period of time. Exactly. SpaceX, and we'll we'll try and avoid um, Elon and um, some of the smutty stuff that's been in the media or whatever you want to say about uh, Elon over the last little while. But we can we we can talk about his uh, his companies. Um, and I saw uh, that SpaceX have broken their annual launch record. So they've done thirty-two launches this year, and here we are. We're only you know just past middle of the year, yeah. and I think that is is pretty mind blowing. And uh, 
yeah, we'd I guess we'd we'd heard from Rocket Lab around you know the potential pace of launches that uh, that Rocket Lab would be able to get to sort of launches every two or three days sort of sort of thing and and you know you work that out it's like oh yeah that could be you know it could be a hundred um, odd launches a year of course these are on a different scale to SpaceX but as someone that uses Twitter I've been really surprised over the past few weeks of you know how often I'm on Twitter and then it's like oh is that another SpaceX launch is that more you know satellites going up or what have you? It just seems constant, and I guess at thirty-two launches and um, under under seven months, yeah, uh, yeah, we're, we're we're talking, you know, more than a launch a week, right? Yeah, uh, it's yeah. Uh, it's it's just mind blowing how things impressive. have really sped up, mm. and to be, you know, potentially doubling or. or in that uh, in that direction for the year, um, wow! Because it's not as though SpaceX were being slackers or anything when it came to launches, right? Yeah, I mean it's something that we didn't even really talk about at all. Rockets launching not that long ago, and now it seems to be always in the news. Yeah, yeah, it's just just constant. Yeah. Um, and you know, of course, there's been great stuff going on with uh, with Rocket Lab and their you know yep. uh, involvement in the um, uh, moon launch and uh, their yeah their, their continued uh, work going on behind the scenes, mm. which is, is is pretty exciting. And uh, they're they're definitely you know it's well worth worth uh, worth following um, them and uh, and. Uh, uh, Peter Beck on on Twitter. If you're a Twitter user, just to keep up with with it, because it, it, I guess it is so constant. Yeah, that there isn't room for it to be covered in the main, you know, mm. media. You know, a lot of the time because yeah. like, oh, it's just another rocket launch. It's this. It's that. Yeah. Uh, because it's happening every day. But if you're not kind of keeping an eye on it, then you potentially kind of miss. What sort of you know revolution is actually you know going on as far as space is concerned? I think it, yeah, it's kind of cool how it can inspire Kiwi kids. I'm finding at the moment to be, you know, they've never really thought about being rocket engineers before, but now there's you know awesome clips on YouTube they can watch, and it's it'll be pretty cool to see what it what turns out in the next decade. Yeah, I I, I remember uh, you know growing up seeing the. Would have been would have been a space shuttle launch. I can't. Maybe it was the first space shuttle uh, launch. Apollo mission. Um, don't remember <laughs> the Apollo missions. I gotta say, uh, <laughs> um, maybe there'll be somebody in my family that does. But uh, yeah, it wasn't wasn't uh, it wasn't quite my era, but. It was it was such a big deal, right? As it yeah, would have been, yeah. if, you know, with Apollo uh, launches and so on. But yeah, now I'll you know try and convince my son to sort of, oh look, he's going to live. This is happening right now. This rocket's launching. Yeah, and he's looking for something else to do. <laughs> it's like it's just become so everyday, so pedestrian. It's yeah. like, wow, it's uh, amazing how uh, yeah how things how things have advanced and. Mm. You know, a really key part of it, of course, is the the technological change that yeah. that makes it it's so possible. I'm not 
easy is probably not the right word because you look at what Rocket Rocket Lab has mm. achieved and you look at all the other companies and there are a lot of them around the world that are that are, you know, trying to do things in space. Yeah. And, you know, most of them aren't doing very much in space at all. And yet, yeah. you know, Rocket Lab it just, you know, continues to SpaceX uh, yeah. you know, can continue to um, you know the the Chinese are are really moving forward in in terms of the the things that they're doing and 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 their own um, uh, space station and so on. So it's like you know there are, there are a, a few areas where there is in, incredible success and innovation. And yes, we can say the technology makes it quicker, easier, cheaper, but it's still really hard, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you certainly can't underestimate that. Um, I also saw that. Um, Facebook are, uh, are being hauled into uh, court. So uh, Mark Zuckerberg and, and Sheryl Sandberg are set to be um, uh, in court in, in relation to the Cambridge Analytica uh, scandal, mm-hmm. which is sort of a highlight of how fast the world moves today but how slow you know, traditional things like court processes move. I guess it'd be similar to, yeah. you know, look at, at dot-com's situation. You know, I, I, I mean, that was, when when did he get arrested? I, I oh, think God. it was in the very early days of the New Zealand Tech podcast. Maybe, yeah. you know, maybe we were a, a year old or, or something and there was this, you know, big, big thing at... Uh, um, at the dot com mansion for their new thing, and and that was you know a period of time on from from the arrest. So yeah, courts move very very slow, and you know when you kind of think about that, how does that work in a world which is actually moving really really quickly? It yeah. sort of, you know brings us to you know, these challenges, like what we were talking about at the beginning. You know that that kind of um, you know agreement of the social media and. Mm. Um, online firms sort of agreeing to a code of contact and it sort of, you know, with that pace it does bring you back to, well, actually there, there is some wisdom to having some interim steps to, mm. um, you know, well, the, law changes and so on when we, when well, we know legislation how, how catches up. slow these things happen, right? Yeah. Um, now we heard about a chess robot breaking, uh, breaking a child's finger uh, this week. Is this the future that we should all expect as everything becomes uh, definitely not ro- robotic? Definitely <laughs> not. I think that was a really interesting, interesting article, um, but and it shows the the limits that it, there still are around robotics um, and how they interact with people, making sure that you've got the right health and safety measures in place for sure. Um, very unfortunate situation. Yeah, I was kind of curious when I when I read the headline. Like, okay, robotic chess player. How would Thinking that work? Thinking one of those doomsday probably, films. Probably got a yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't uh, quite that though. <laughs> no, well, you know, you basically got this, you know, robot arm that can pick up chess pieces and move them around. And yeah, well, if you you know end up with putting your hand out and getting sort of caught in this pretty you know pretty dumb robot mechanism like mm. obviously there's some there's you know an element of ai to the game playing mm. and there's a, you know an element of ai to a robotic arm but it looked more like the sort of arm that you see in a factory not yeah. like a 
a person's arm, right? So um, yeah. you want to stay clear of that while it's while it's doing its job, just as you would if you're in a Tesla factory or, or any other big factory where say, your computer's doing yeah. doing their work, right? In factory, I mean, they're still trying to work out in industry how you can create safe spaces where you can have robots and people kind of co-working or working in the same yeah. spaces. And there's got to be lots of rules of engagement almost around how different people interact and where you can go and can't go. There's one of the um, one of the emerging use cases around 5G is that industrial IoT and you know, helping to improve the analytics that sit behind the robotics so that they can use AI to detect things like a kid's finger getting in the way so that they can have a safety to cut it off. And it is that advancement of technology to cut the robot off. Okay, just checking. (laughs) To stop the robot. Very good point. Poor (laughs) use of language. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, look, I mean... It is it is fascinating, and depending on the use cases, we will we will kind of see probably a whole variance of sort of safety levels. I remember yeah. um, going through factories for uh, Huawei and uh, and Oppo in in China, and the uh, Huawei one, they really wanted to. It was kind of a demonstration of what robotics could do. So mm. they had. Ninety percent of the uh, process was automated and robotic, and they were, you know, they were very proud of that because at that time, anyway, you know, the percentage that was automated of an iPhone factory was much, much lower. So mm. it was sort of their way of showing, hey, we're, you know, we're at the that we're at the forefront, forefront sort of yeah. thing. Um, and there, you know, there maybe there were, you know, ten, twelve, you know, people. Um, Involved as well, but yeah, most of it was was robotics. But one of the th- one of the um, robots was a a little sort of world machine that would you know come around and I think would maybe collect the the boxes full of phones once they had you know once yeah. they'd been filled up. And of course, you know, having having that kind of interest, I thought, oh, what happens if you stand in the way of the the robot? And yeah, of course, it's, it's like a <laughs> like a, a, a operational autonomous vehicle. It uh, it grinds to a halt rather than uh, you know crushing you and destroying you. Well, that's good. Um, which, which was quite pleasing. Otherwise, I wouldn't be you know. Here I think to, that's here probably today. what they were hoping would happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh, we did, we had a really cool trial recently at Spark working with EnviroWest, mm. and so that was looking at um, a, a video camera footage of the transfer station or the the Kiwi dump. Um, and identifying where there might be people that would be getting into harm's way. So surprisingly, when people go to the dump in uh, in Auckland and around around New Zealand, sometimes people will spot they might drop a phone or or their keys down into where they're throwing the rubbish, or they might spot something that they want to jump in and grab. And so they will occasionally get people jumping over the barriers and down into where the rubbish is. And there's these huge heavy machinery down there. So the AI was sitting on top of the camera and able to then detect what people were doing and it could even predict that somebody looked like they might be about to jump into the into the pit um, and sound an alarm so that it could keep people safe. And yeah. so there's some really cool examples of where we're applying the technology from a health and safety perspective actually to identify and help keep people safe. Love it. Yeah, mm. that's really cool. And those are the sorts of things that yeah, as these things progress, we can we can do more down that front, and hope, yeah. hopefully without you know too 
with the the technology doing a, a good enough job that it doesn't uh, doesn't cause too much disruption can, as well, right? Unobtrusive. You don't have to worry about it being there. You can just be comfortable that um, your site's going to be safe. For example. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh, that's uh, that's neat. Now, um, Didi, uh, the big Chinese yeah. uh, ride hailing firm or ride sharing firm, whatever you want to call it, Uber. Once an Uber competitor, um, but of course, I guess they've well, they, they still are to you know to a degree um, in in some markets, but uh, um, Uber no longer operating um, in China. Um, they have been fined in um, in China uh, 1.2 billion uh, US US dollars, uh, which is yeah, I guess around two billion. Um, New Zealand dollars today, so a pretty, a pretty mm. huge uh, sum, and um, their uh, cyberspace administration of of China um, said they had found conclusive evidence against the the company, and uh, Didi went and listed on the um, the New York Stock Exchange uh, last year. Um, but there was the rug was sort of pulled out from under them, and they had to kind of, you know, step back from that. And I just find this some of these things that are that are going on. It's really hard to work out how much of this is sort of political and a mm. bit of a warning to a company of look, we want you to operate within certain constraints that kind of you know suit. Mm. Uh, from a yeah, from a political perspective, that that suit um, you know the the Communist Party, uh, and yeah, how many of these things are actually you know genuinely, uh, yeah, companies that are that are doing really um, really dodgy stuff, and uh, you know, I guess yeah, uh, um, you know they've not only been fined, but they were, you know, they had to pull their pull their their app from uh, app stores. Uh, uh, in in China and so on, so um, mm. yeah, pretty uh, messy uh, situation for uh, for Didi, which yeah yeah as a as a, an innovative uh, you know technology company uh, yeah well that's you know do a few of these sort of things and uh, you can soon destroy a destroy a firm can't you yeah I mean there's a Sort of two sides for it, right? The cybersecurity is just becoming increasingly a non-negotiable for companies to take really seriously, um, and certainly that's been highlighted over the last couple of years um, around the need to get the right advice in the cybersecurity space. Make sure that you're talking to the right people, um, but then it, it also just highlights the geopolitical environment at the moment, right? There's so many things going on in the world that yeah. nothing's clear cut these days. Yeah, and w- I mean we've seen we've seen a bit more uh, on line over over the past sort of week or, or so around Huawei in the US and you know there's been a bit of new information sort of that's come out there. Uh, suggesting that uh, Huawei were sort of investing um, over and above what you maybe what you might expect to put infrastructure into certain um, rural locations in the U.S. that uh, maybe happen to 
to line up with where uh, you know military installations were and yeah, even some some references back to uh, US nuclear capabilities. So mm. it's um, it's a pretty you know, complex field to yeah. yeah to understand exactly where these things uh, where these things cross over. Yeah, and who can you trust? Well, kind of nobody, right? Because you know we see whether it's it's. Uh, US, where you know we're talking about um, you know cybersecurity, they had uh, a firm that uh, was outsourced to it was um, to capture license plate information at the at the borders and AI to kind of you know read read that information and um, you know that's quite important from a, a security standpoint. That well, if you're collecting all all sorts of information about where different vehicles are at a particular time. That shouldn't just be, you know, wide open, but yeah. it was. And then we, you know, we've heard similar um, situations with with China and you know government front. So, yeah. you know, we can't trust our governments. We can't trust private firms. It's uh, I'm sure it's we a, can. It's a big it's a big <laughs> challenge. I think there's there's two sides to technology, right? There's the 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 tricky side where it can be used for nefarious means but then there's also the side where it helps to make lives so much simpler and easier like the license plate example it's awesome that I can drive into the car park and I don't even need to get a ticket now because it recognizes my license plate and it knows how long I've been there yeah uh, that just makes life so much more seamless so and you love how I'm that's focusing tied on that stuff the, at the moment <laughs> sorry I was going to jump in and say oh, you love how that keeps track of exactly what hours you're in work or somewhere or not and you know, know you get pinged when you haven't been there side. enough <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it, yeah, it's it, it's interesting. I was um, reading around. Um, I think it was as Tesla, where they've been sort of encouraging people to to come back to work, but probably encouraging might be a, a softer word than um, than some of um, mm. Elon's commentary. And uh, I was like, well, you know, how do they figure that out? And then I read that they were looking at you know staff basically swiping in and out of the mm. the office as the kind of the automated way to do it so I guess yeah yeah all of these things have you know they can have an upside but it's also yeah can you the ethics around it I think yeah yeah how do you how do you get that balance right and without uh, making people sort of feel uncomfortable about the data you're collecting or, or how you use it um, yeah it's a very real situation that we have to make sure we're open about Yep, um, but lot, lot, as you say, lots of good, and you know, I, the um, yeah car parking type stuff. That's uh, that's very very handy. And um, was it um, said where you can you know turn up, and if you're using their their app, and you've got your number plate yeah uh, in there, you can you can you know have it automatically dispense uh, fuel if. If your vehicle turns the... up or somebody else turns up with a copy of your number plate uh, stuck over theirs, then... Uh... Don't give people ideas. <laughs> if you walk into the quarry lounge and you can get, you know, sent a, a notification to order your coffee. Yeah. <laughs> All of these good things. There are lots <laughs> lots of good things, yeah. yeah. We, just have, we just have to keep our, keep our eyes and ears open to the risks, don't we? Yeah. Um, on the on an, another uh, front with uh, with China, we've we've been hearing a little bit around uh, the sort of autonomous uh, vehicles and and autonomous um, uh, 
uh, taxis in China. And there's been a, uh, a bit out and about over the last few days uh, from uh, Baidu, big sort of tech giant in, uh, in China, showing off their, their next vehicle, which is um, going to be joining their, their um, autonomous uh, taxi fleet. And uh, what are they calling it? The Apollo RT6. And the comment is that it has the road skills of a driver with 20 years' experience. Now, of course, there's a couple of ways Back of ta- taking, taking that. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, somebody with 20 years' experience, well, after 20 years, some people maybe get a little bit lazy and sort of following the road rules. Um, others would say, well, when you, maybe you're a little bit newer and, and cautious, it's uh, it's better. Um, I guess the, uh, the, the gotcha for me... Was that it sounds like it's it's maybe uh, a a year away for this particular um, tech to uh, to to hit the street second half of of twenty twenty three. That still seems pretty early to have a fully autonomous vehicle cruising around the streets, right? Robo taxi. Well, they're talking about a, a small scale trial at that time, yeah. so they sort of talk it up and the photos and the picture of where there's, you know, the steering wheel's been taken away from the vehicle, and it just it sounds really neat, and yeah, and then it's like oh, um, pricing wise, it sounds like, and who knows whether you'll ever be able to buy these things. Yeah, directly anyway, if they're mm. designed for an autonomous fleet, uh, the, this particular one, the Apollo RT6, um, uh, looks around 60,000 60, uh, New Zealand dollars as a kind of X tax mm. price. So maybe, you know, uh, maybe it's, it's 70K and get it to New Zealand sort of thing. And then probably wouldn't quite know what to do on our roads. Uh, but uh, eight LiDAR sensors and, yeah. you know, varying other things, 12 cameras. So yeah, ultrasonic sensors, yeah, fascinating to sort of see the different different approaches. You've still got, uh, you know, Tesla and uh, you know a, a number who are who are still down this track of just need cameras. That's how humans drivers by vision. You mm. don't need a whole lot of other sensors. Uh, and then you've got others who are very much down um, down the track of of lidar. Um, when the price of the vehicle could be yeah. Uh, that sort of price seventy sort of seventy thousand New Zealand dollars. If you can do that and have eight lidar and twelve cameras, ultrasonic sensors, um, what they call a wave radar, if you can have all of that in a vehicle in a seventy thousand dollar vehicle, mm. and it's uh, it is you know kind of interesting that there's there's maybe so much effort by by Tesla not to do that. Now, understandable yeah. when you know each lidar might have cost you. Ten thousand US dollars. Um, there's no way you could have had eight lidars, but uh, the price of technology comes down. So, well, I think the interesting thing in the autonomous vehicles is what you can do once you hit, take away the need to drive the car. The stuff you can do inside it, and so seeing some of the concept vehicles that the automobile companies have got, how you just can completely rethink the inside of the car because you've all of a sudden you don't need to be sitting facing the road, for example. You can be sitting facing each other in the vehicle and all of a sudden it just completely changes driving experience. Totally, or having a nap, right? I'm yeah. still dreaming of, you know, look, want to go somewhere, go down, fall asleep, and you, you know, I guess it's a little yeah. bit like... 
you know, the the perfect uh, plane journey to to another part of the world where yeah. you know, sit down, have Jump a meal, a pod. fall asleep, <laughs> yeah. and then you wake up and you're on the other side of the world somewhere, right? Yeah. Um. So the the equivalent at basically you know low low cost with a, a standard vehicle being able to do that around the country um, could be pretty cool. I guess we I have a variation so. of that with sort of buses that you can you know mm. uh, you can you can sleep on or uh, you know what have you intercity uh, type things. But there we go. Um, now there were a couple of other things I was hoping to drill into. Maybe we'll just cover cover one more, and then keen to get an, an update from what's happening in the in the Spark world and yeah, talking cool. about millimeter wave. Um, but there was news around um, a GPS tracker unit that's available for around thirty New Zealand dollars, and and apparently there are you know, Hundreds of thousands of these things, um, uh, or of of customers for this, um, you know, particular unit uh, called uh, Mycodus MV Seven Twenty. Um, it's a very low cost unit, so that's why there's there's lots of customers. Um, uh, apparently, about one point five million units of them um, out there, used in just about every country in the world. And across everything from you know just consumer use to law enforcement, military, and and government use, um, but uh, it's it's turned out that uh, people should stop using these uh, these units immediately because they are um, they're able to be easily um, you know controlled by by hackers. And um, and they get they get used to uh, to control vehicles. So you know scenario where uh, um, someone takes you know takes control of uh, of this tracker and then messes with um, you know locations, cuts off fuel to a to a vehicle, or disarms mm. alarms and and uh, and other bits and pieces. Um, so. Um, yeah, an alarming some, story. Yes, mm. some lessons, some lessons there around uh, you know where you source products from and making yeah. sure that um, you know look. Sometimes it makes sense to be using you know very low cost technology, but you've also got to keep a track on where it is and how you're managing it and what do you do when a vulnerability is found because when it's a thirty dollar unit, it's may well not sort of auto patch itself and auto update or mm. even able to be you know secured in in any sort of way which it sounds like that's uh, that's the situation here yeah I think particularly in the internet of things space when we're connecting more and more things and also more and more critical things like power meters and, and water and stuff like that you have yep. to make sure that you're really really clear on the security of the devices and to your point making sure that it can be upgraded um, as you need, as vulnerabilities are found. It's incredibly important. Yeah, and and recognising that something that you put in today might not last for, you know, a decade or a you know, long period of time and, uh, and you know, working, working that in. Now, 
Tell us about Millimetre Wave. Now, this was, I guess, one of the you know one of the areas of five G that we heard about mm. you know, recently early on was was Millimetre Wave and this um, you know potentially the, the ability to give us um, you know huge amounts of of bandwidth into mm. into um, you know I guess my initial impressions of it was Millimetre Wave is what we might see you know in the cities as a sort of um, you know, a, com- a competitor to fibre broadband, able to deliver really high speeds, uh, you know, in, in dense urban areas. But you've been doing a trial that's actually quite different to that. Very and different. Is this, is this the first time that we've had a millimetre wave, um, you know, 5G technology sort of tested in New Zealand? Yeah, so this is the first time we've trialled millimetre wave. We're using test spectrum that um, we've loaned from the government so that we could test out some of its capabilities. Thank you, government. Yep, very much. And so 5G, when you roll it out, um, can be used across a whole range of spectrum. And generally the way it works, I'm sure lots of your listeners will know this, but the higher you get in frequency, uh, the less far the the signal will travel. And so millimetre wave is the highest uh, frequency range for 5G. And actually 4G all sits down in sort of what we know as the mid and low band spectrum. Millimetre wave is up in the high band. So it goes really fast, but doesn't tend to travel that far. So what we trialled here was to look at, um, we were seeing some emerging use cases around long range use of millimetre wave in rural environments. And so we partnered with Nokia, Um, who built a lot of our cell sites uh, in the 5G space to test out their new millimetre wave radio um, and then also the external antennas that pick up the signal. And so we set up a site um, that had two sectors at Mouse Point in North Canterbury. And what we then did was uh, drive tests to look at at differing distances away from the site, what were the speeds that we could get. Um, And we were really pleasantly surprised. So the peak speed that we saw was 2.4 gigabits per second, which is pretty fast. And that was three kilometres away from the site, which is great. Um, And so if you think your your standard mobile phone speed might be in the hundreds of megabits per second, if you're in in a pretty good coverage area, 2.4 2.4 gigabits per second is a huge increase. Um, and then going further away, we also got just over one gigabit per second when you were getting seven kilometres away from the site, which is a really long range. That's and awesome because so seven kilometres, give, give or take, if I recall correctly, and it's been, mm. a, been a while since you know I had to deal with a copper connection, but that was kind of about the limit for uh, ADSL Connection, or certainly for a VDS, I think yeah, VDSL connection, you wouldn't, you'd be completely stuffed at that point, and you'd be struggling to get, you know, probably, you know, I don't know, you certainly wouldn't be getting ten megabits per per second, yeah, let alone a, a gigabit over that sort of range. So it's it's, it's pretty yeah. cool. So we we've we've done the part of the testing where we test the speeds at different distance, distances, mm. and then the next part of the test we're working with PGG Wrightson to to use that coverage to then set up um, sort of hotspots in some of their stores that are within the coverage range, and then to test out the actual use cases kind of for people connecting. So they saw quite a lot of opportunities, both from creating um, access to fast connectivity in rural situations, um, but they were looking at opportunities to use their stores as a hub, so you'd be able to go into the store and get access to really fast internet. 
Um, and then also looking at opportunities around the, how they could do sort of HD streaming, live streaming of some of their livestock auctions. There's a new platform that they've been launching. So there's some really cool examples of how once you kind of give the capability to have high-speed connectivity into some of these more remote areas, um, what you can manage to do with it. So that'll be the next the next interesting thing. I think millimetre wave, normally people think about it using it in high-density scenarios, so like you're saying, in urban centres. And so we'll be looking over the next 12 to 18 months to highlight those sorts of use cases. But this was a great one to do first cab off the rank just to show that it's not just about urban centres um, actually will be able to use this technology to deliver proper 5G out uh, all over New Zealand. Yeah, and so in those cases, was it quite sort of focused in one direction in order to, to do that? So in a normal sense with a cell site, yeah, you're trying to get a sort of a broad yeah. radius. Yeah, I understand what you mean. It um, So it does use new technology around um, how you target the the antennas or the, the yes. signal towards yeah. devices, yeah. definitely, um, to make it work better. And as I say, it was, it was definitely a, a, a Kiwi experiment. We had the engineers had a, had a truck that had the, the external aerial on the top of the truck um, with a modem inside reading speed. So it was, was a lo-fi experiment, yeah, um, yeah. but cool to see the results and then kind of think about the potential for it in future. Yeah, and um, those sort of rural cell sites, how are those generally connected today? You've got yep. fibre has sort of been the, the norm, hasn't it, for connecting cell sites together? Yeah, I mean, a lot will be still using copper connections and we're increasingly adding connectivity options um, both through the upgrade programs we're doing in rural with our 4G spectrum and also obviously through the Rural Connectivity Group, RCG, um, where we work in partnership with the other network operators to provide um, coverage in really remote locations and also in um, highway black spots and things like that um, where you just really need coverage. I think Kiwis are now expecting that kind of no matter where you go in New Zealand, you expect that your phone will still get coverage. You sometimes forget there's still parts of the country where, where we haven't quite managed to reach yet. Yeah, and look, you're part of that rural connectivity group with yeah. uh, Vodafone and uh, and and two degrees, I noticed I was looking at a yeah, potential uh, road trip that um, has been slightly postponed to uh, summer with all the rubbish weather. Um, <laughs> and one of the areas I was looking at was um, Haast. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, looking around that area, the, the connectivity is, is definitely on the on the lighter end. So this is, this is where the mobile black spot sort of investment I guess you know as yeah. it, as it keeps rolling out, fills in fills in more gaps and leaves us a bit safer if you yeah you know have an accident or you run that out. You're at of, least closer uh, to getting into coverage. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, when I was actually looking at that, it was interesting how it was. There was seemed to be lots of coverage kind of offshore into the into the water. I guess based on where cell sites were, but I guess based on the topology and so on. Um, yeah, we you try could, and you could, tend you know. to fire it towards the ground, so we try and send the signal so that it is catching more of the people on the ground with their cell phones as opposed to the the animals out at sea. Yeah, well, it was just interesting that it appeared to be a whole bunch of sort of coverage out at sea, but once you got much back from the the shore and some of those areas, it was uh, uh, it was a bit variable. So you know that work 
continues. Now, I'm sure some folks will be a, will be a little bit curious, and this might not be sort of you know your um, your area um, specifically, but I'm sure you know a thing or two about it. Is the cell sites um, mm-hmm. getting sold off? So, how how does that sort of you know how does that play out in in the future mm. with the um, you know towers sort of sitting under under Towerco basically? Mm. Yeah, I th- um, there are a lot of markets globally where we've seen the same thing happen. So New Zealand, I would say, is not certainly not a world leader in going down this path. What we hope happen will happen as a result is that we will really unleash the ability for those businesses as infrastructure companies to be able to build infrastructure across New Zealand in the way that's most cost effective for New Zealanders. And it means that we as the telecommunications, as the network operator, can focus on making sure that we get coverage to the right, right places at the right time. Um, and so, yeah, I think creating that split between accountabilities of infrastructure and making sure that we're building in the right places and potentially being able to put more than one operator onto onto any given site will be a great outcome for New Zealand overall. You don't necessarily want two towers in the same place for two different operators. If you can have both of them on one, that's great outcome for Kiwis. Yeah. So in terms of how how those agreements are, are done, it's not sort of excluding other no, you know, no, networks coming in and, and using that infrastructure. So there's kind of a, you know. No, a, built to try and encourage it really. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's what drives the best outcome for us as Kiwis, making sure that we get good infrastructure investment um, into New Zealand so that we can build the right technology infrastructure for us going forward. Yeah, well, we've we've got a reasonably large country with a fairly Tiny small population, population haven't yeah. we? So, yeah, you say compared to the UK, where I'm not sure the exact land mass, but it's not, yeah, it's not dramatically different, you know. Yeah. to to I think it's to, even to smaller ours, than right? New Zealand, yeah. isn't it? It's and crazy. then their population, you know, again my loose figures, but you know, 10, 10 times ours. Yeah. And um, you know, yet we're certainly not paying ten times what they pay for. You know, for for mobile use, mm. but there are some, you know, there are some economies of of scale, yeah. um, you know, that, that other markets get, and um, yeah, well, making making these changes. If yeah, if if it ends up working well, then um, yeah, hopefully we end up with with more for yeah. more for less. I'm sure Spark doesn't want it to be less, but uh, well, no, you know, these are the market really factors, Im- right? Prices it's a keep really going important. Down. Really important thing. I mean, we. I was just sharing with you earlier today that I've just today come from an event that Spark ran, which was called an all-in event, and so that was essentially like a hackathon, but it was bringing as many people from Spark as possible to look for solutions to the challenge of the digital divide and digital equity. And so we are a country that has a massive landmass and not very many people, but we've got to make sure that all of the people across both motus have got equal or equitable access to technology and unless we can help to try and address some of that digital divide it'll just get bigger and bigger over time so it's a pretty important thing to make sure that we're making the changes in our industry that are needed so that we can get the best economics for the country going forward I think. Yeah I I agree I think uh, it's you know it's quite challenging in terms of what is the right way to go about uh, doing that and um 
Yeah, we are moving forward though. It's, it seems, and I think mm. it's really cool that Spark, uh, you know, put that put that energy and, and effort into uh, to you know solving some of these these challenges. Yeah, I can't wait to it, see the yeah. ideas that come out of the out of the day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's very very cool. Well, it's been great to uh, great to catch up again, um, Renee. Anything else you wanted to mention? Uh, no, I think that it's been really cool just talking about some of the future innovations that are coming. Um, and we've got lots of exciting stuff on the slate over the next couple of months. Um, so it's really, I mean, I feel very fortunate to be in the tech space at the moment in New Zealand where we're starting to sort of stretch our muscles and, and push the boundaries a little bit um, and uh, do things in the best interest for New Zealand overall. Yeah, definitely. It's certainly not a, not a, a boring uh, field to be in at the yeah. moment. There's, there's, there's lots going on. And yeah, hopefully we we kind of you know we get things right in terms of predicting where things are heading, and and we make uh, you know positive uh, moves that that you know end up having a an overall you know uplift for 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 New Zealand in general, and and you make know, sure for, stuff's more uh, on that light side of the coin, right? Yeah, 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 yeah the yeah. great side of technology. Yeah, well, I guess we you know we have to talk and and delve into those those challenges so that we can. You know, have that awareness and address Absolutely. accordingly. Um, you can't just kind of shut them out and pretend that uh, that everything that happens with with technology is all good and and yeah. uh, and and safe. But yeah, for me, I think you want to have you know as much focus as you can on what are the things that are going to bring that positive uplift from you know leveraging the latest and greatest of technology. Yeah. Um, but you know, certainly without without uh, closing your eyes or ignoring the um, you know the risks on the getting flip the side, balance right. right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally yeah. agree. Thank you for having me though. It's been oh, fun. It's been, been great to catch <laughs> up. So um, thank you again for being on the show, um, and thanks to our show partners that include Spark, uh, Vodafone, Two Degrees, uh, HP, Gorilla Technology, Cyclone, and Aruba. So uh, thanks everyone for listening in. And we'll look forward to catching you again next week. Of course, if you are uh, about on a Tuesday afternoon, most weeks uh, you will find there's a, uh, a video live stream. So if you're listening uh, to the audio po- audio podcast, then you can catch the uh, the live stream video across LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. I think that's uh, uh, that's all of them. Or if you're watching the live stream now and you haven't caught the podcast, fire up your podcast app and you can uh, you can get access to uh, the audio episodes to listen to while you're commuting, exercising, doing the dishes, mowing the lawns, whatever it is. So, yeah. Hey, that's us. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Renee. Thanks, Paul. Cheers. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.